Okay, if you would please turn to the book of Ephesians. I'll be reading Ephesians 5, verses 18 and 19. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, merciful instruction to the bride of Christ. So Father, help all of us here be free of distraction in our minds. And by the filling of your Holy Spirit, continue to worship over your word with a yearning and a spiritual hunger to understand this text and to be throughout our lives obedient to it. So to that end, I beg you to help me Help me explain, unfold, and apply what is actually here in your eternal word to the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Christians, from the very beginning of church history, all the way down to this very Sunday morning are a singing people. Christians, according to our text, are to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the main evidences of that is singing. We saw briefly last week there's only one main verb in this larger passage. In other words, and it's an imperative mood verb. Do this. Be filled. And then what comes after is dependent on that verb. They are participles. There are three, in other words, results of being filled. Singing giving thanks, and submitting to one another. And so to just isolate the first this morning, the command is, be being filled with the Spirit, resulting in you all singing. From your heart to the Lord, and as you are corporately together to one another in the book of Psalms and the hymns of the church, exhort one another. Last week we saw about being filled that the truth, the gospel, is key. Meaning the truth that gets into the Christian's mind where we, not just merely I know things, but we get 
a vision of who Christ is. That is the match that sparks a flame, the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's last week's sermon. Joy erupts. And so what would it say about you if you came to church week after week after week and looked up at the words on the screen there with a bored look on your face and no words coming out of your mouth. And what if, for instance, what if every one of us here on Sunday morning, that's what we did. You've got to always ask that question about decisions in life. What if everybody did what I did? Well, what if we were just all just bored, looking around, seem uninterested and an unbeliever visits that morning would that person say wow I really want to know Jesus he must be really something I can see it on your faces and in your song of course not Paul writes also in Colossians 3.16 to us Christians, let the Word of Christ dwell in you. Not just in your Bible, but in you. Let it dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, in singing psalms and hymns, in spiritual songs with thankfulness, in your hearts to God. Spirit-filled people, according to this text, sing. They sing out of a heart affections that are real that want to sing. And so lifeless unmoved, apathetic feelings toward God in corporate worship is sinful disregard for who He is. For His beauty, for His glory, and for His mercy in Jesus Christ. Jonathan Edwards, back in the 1700s, I'm trying to put together last week's sermon with now this morning, being filled, singing from the heart, affections. And th this is how he stated it in, oh, I just hope we hear it because he's dead on. God glorifies Himself towards the creatures also in two ways. One, by appearing to their understanding. That there's the mind. I want to understand the Gospel. I want to have my theology straight. Okay, But that's not the end of it. 
So first, by appearing to their understanding. But then secondly, in communicating Himself to their hearts. And in their rejoicing and delighting in and enjoying the manifestations which He makes of Himself. He goes on to say, God is glorified not only by His glory being seen, understood in the mind, but by its being rejoiced in. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. His glory is then received by the whole soul, both by the understanding and by the heart. He's biblical. And this is why the whole Bible, not just the Apostle Paul, but why the whole Bible views music and melody, and singing lyrics about God and of His promises and of His salvation and deliverance, it sees that aspect of His church as essential in the life of believers. And this is why Paul says, singing is an expression of being filled with God the Holy Spirit. Not just mouthing the words, look down at the text, verse 19, but from your heart, singing and making melody to the Lord with, and this is a plural, your, the church plural, singular heart. Singing from the depths of your heart, notice, to, you're singing to someone, to the Lord. You're singing to Jesus, the Savior. Now, he does say right before that, doesn't he? Addressing one another. Horizontally, with the lyrics of the book of Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so, so his point is simply this, that we, the church, can come together and we can sing. We, in our second person to the Lord, exalt you, you. And we can also sing, isn't, third person, isn't He wonderful? Isn't His saving us amazing? That's what He's driving at. Now, now just briefly, those terms here in the text, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Bottom line is, don't make a whole lot about distinctions between them probably really isn't. 
Let me just quote from one major commentator on Ephesians, Peter O'Brien. These three terms were used by Greek-speaking Jewish authors of roughly the same time as Paul to refer to praise of God. So Paul's not creating them. They're just normal use in the Greek language for fellow Jews. Psalms and hymns and songs. And he goes on to say that Josephus, who was a first century Jewish historian and wrote a history of the Jews in the first century, Josephus says about David, in the Greek translation, he composed songs, same word that we have here of songs, hodas, and hymns, that's where we get our word, hymnus. Okay. He, he, David, composed songs and hymns to God in varied meters. And almost 200 years before Christ, in the rededication of the temple under Judas Maccabees, he used the same terms, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And so O'Brien concludes, since the three terms seem almost interchangeable, and since Ephesians has a tendency to be redundant, it is probably a mistake to distinguish the terms too sharply from one another. Though, the adjective spiritual, which is attached to the last term, songs, spiritual songs, probably does have special reference to the kind of spontaneous, spirit-inspired singing which 1 Corinthians 14.26 refer. Maybe. Like when Paul said, when you gather together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. A hymn, a song. What does he mean? Spontaneous? New? Maybe. But the whole point is singing the glories of God. The point is, no matter what your background is, religiously, familiarly, familiarly, your family, your personality, your inability to sing in tune, don't let the devil steal from you. Don't let him cheat you. Be a singer from your and assume this that though you don't see him you love him. Though you don't see him now you rejoice with a joy inexpressible and filled with glory. That's Peter's definition of a born-again person. Don't be cheated when the church gathers on the first day of the week to express it in the gift of music and song. So you who have come to Jesus, you, have, you who have been made alive 
by the power of the Holy Spirit to embrace the gospel of your salvation. Here's the exhortation. Here's the application this morning. Obey the Word of God. Right here in our text. And all over the Bible. I'm just gonna, so I just want to give you a taste. Okay? Obey, thus saith the Lord. Psalm chapter 5. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And may you shelter them that those who love your name may exalt in you. Obey. Psalm 33. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is right for the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the guitar. Sing praises to Him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Psalm 95. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Psalm 98, oh sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done wonderful things. His right hand and His holy arm have gained the victory for Him. Psalm 100, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is appropriate. And finally, Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and His praise in the midst of the congregation of the godly ones. The Word of the Lord. Of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you say, I'm grumpy. I'm sad. I'm anxious in my life about X, Y, or Z. I have too many troubles and problems going on in order to come in here on Sunday morning and obey texts like that and sing with my heart and my mouth to the Lord. 
I would be a hypocrite. That thinking is absolutely opposite of biblical thinking. The Bible goes like this. I'm overwhelmed. I'm sinful. I feel the hardness of my heart. I'm sad. I'm grieving right now. Therefore, I will sing. That's the Gospel. That's the Bible. And that's why David... David who? The great hymn writer. That's why he sang. I want you to see it for a moment. So I want you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 59. Here's David. He is not king yet. In verses 16 and 17, he gives us But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been a fortress, that is, a shelter, protection, a fort from danger to me, and you have been a refuge, a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength. That's how he is addressing God. Oh, my strength. I will sing praises to you. For you, oh God, are my fortress. The God who shows me steadfast love. David says, I will Sing. I will not just contemplate theology. I will not just think. But I will sing of who you are as you have revealed yourself in Scripture. And I have a theological structure about who you are. I see your Gospel. And I will sing of your mercy. That's what David's saying. But let's put David in context Picture yourself, you're Christian, but now you're living in ISIS-occupied Iraqi or Syrian territory. And all around you are vicious, murderous men searching the city for people just like you with long, sharp knives in their hands. That's David. That's why he said, I will sing. Look at the introduction to Psalm 59. This is not by the Crossway editors, okay? This is by. To the choir master, 
according to do not destroy a mictum of David. When Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. So what's it like to be surrounded? By bloodthirsty, he calls them that in this psalm, by bloodthirsty men who have a command to the king to put you to death. Listen to how he expresses it in verses 6 and 7. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips. Who, they think, will hear us. And again, jump down to verses 14 and 15. Each evening they come back, (coughs) howling (coughs) like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. David felt it. So have you ever felt pit in your stomach a bad doctor report or over some relationship or situation or the sickness of a loved one or the death of a loved one or a period of turbulence in your marriage or wayward children, or having been slandered means unjustly your reputation by the mouth of another, or financial crisis, and what will tomorrow hold? You got the pit in your belly, like David did, or, or maybe maybe you're like uh, Paul and Silas and. You're beaten and you're dragged by the city authorities of Philippi into jail. And it's not like our pretty jails. They're pretty compared to what they are. And it's midnight. And the text says, those two men, those two believers in Jesus, sang hymns to God. That's what. On the night before his vicious torture to death, knowing exactly what was going to happen, before Jesus and those eleven got up from the table, they sang a hymn to God. And so here's David. He's on the run from an irrational, crazy man, King Saul. And he's surrounded by his vicious men with instructions to find him and to kill him. And they prowl every night like dogs. And then verse 16, But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress 
and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. And so David sang of God's mercy, protection, His power. How did He do it? Because He was born again. Because He belonged to Christ. Because He was filled with the Holy Spirit who was working in His heart true worship, adoration, dependence, desperateness, and joy in the God of His salvation. And so David composes what he would sing and they put it to melody. Because God created music so that melody would reach down into our hearts. It's a strange human being in general who does not enjoy music. I mean, it's such an anomaly that you almost never run into that person. By the time, I mean, they turn 20. But melody grabs the heart with the content of the Gospel. And it says, Sing. Feel what you think. And we sing. We sing with melody in the midst of life and pain and distress and joy. And that's the story throughout redemptive history. That when the people of God have been in the most insecure, in the most desperate, in the most painful, in the most scary situations, when they've been brought to the end of themselves, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we despaired even of life. And God was up to that. Because He wanted something to happen in our hearts. We would stop depending on ourselves. So I'm going to assume Paul, he did sing after that. But when we're brought to the brink of eternity, in the midst of whatever we are wrestling with or going through, it is at that point in the Bible and throughout church history, God's people get real. There is no place for shallowness now. And that's where the deepest and the most penetrating and the most beautiful music and lyrics flow from. So for instance, in the 1500s, and we sing it to the day in the church world, a hymn penned by Martin Luther. A mighty fortress is our God. You know how that's birthed? Luther, German, his dad made enough money in his, I think, mining business to send him 
to school to become a lawyer. His dad wanted him to become a lawyer and do well in life. And one day when he's 22 years old, Luther is almost killed by a lightning bolt that scared the living daylights out of him and it caused him to flee into the local Augustinian monastery and become a priest, become a monk. Eternity was, was just right before him and God... At times he says, love him. I hate him because all he knew was church tradition and the gospel of Jesus was hidden. And he did every monkish thing he possibly could. He drove all of his fellow monks nuts because he would confess, no, you've got to hear my sins, you've got to hear my sins, for hours on end. And he would treat his body and in a very vicious way, any kind of penance he could do. And finally, the grace of God also, with the leader of that monastery, knew how smart Luther was. He says, look, you're going to go off and we're going to send you over here to get your PhD. He learns Hebrew and he learns Greek, studies theology, becomes a doctor of theology, and teaches the book of Psalms and the book of Romans. And he's reading Paul and eventually... It just cracks open. And he sees it. He sees the gospel of salvation by Christ alone. By grace alone. By faith apart from any works alone. And he starts writing pamphlets and books in pinning them, and it's stirring up in the midst of the Renaissance and in Europe and in Germany, and it's happening other places. But now with Luther, finally the church can't take it anymore. I mean, he's a Roman Catholic priest, and they do a book burning officially of all of Luther's writings. And then the Pope excommunicates Luther. And then he's called before the court. The Diet of Worms. And you've got to understand, the church and the state are so linked at this time. And the power of the sword to put to death. And the prosecution, no, we don't want to hear, nope, nope, we don't hear, we want to hear one thing. Here are all your books. Here's the question. If you, if you will just renounce what you have written, we will let you go free. It wasn't easy for him. He asked for a night to sleep on it before he makes his decision. And that night was sleepless. And it was a prayerful, blood-earnest battle on what he will do the next day in that courtroom. And he comes back. And it's put before him. What is your answer? And he said, unless conscience and the Word of God convict me that those are wrong, I cannot recant. Renounced in my writings. Here I stand. 
He felt fear. God was gracious to him. But then, that remark got him condemned to death. But, by God's mercy and his local prince, they stole him away, hid him in a castle for over a year. He translated the entire Bible into the German language and then the rest of the Reformation. In Germany is history. But this is the man who then would later write that musical singing is second only to the preaching of the Word of God. Luther, quote, Music is a gift and a grace of God, not an invention of men, and thus it drives out the devil and makes people cheerful. The Word and song. These are two main ways of the Holy Spirit sanctifying His people. And so out of that, Luther wrote many hymns, and one of them is the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And it became the battle cry for many in the 1500 Reformation whose lives were at stake, and literally their bodies would be tied to stakes and burned as they would sing the words which I will not sing, but I will quote. (laughs) A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper He amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his rival or equal. Did he, did we in our own strength confide? Then our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is He. Lord Sabaoth is His name from age to age the same. And He must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word in the future by Jesus will fell Him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and His gifts are ours through Him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body, they may kill. God's truth abideth still. 
His kingdom is forever. In the furnace of fire, hymns like that come. Do you know the story behind the birth of the great hymn? It is well with my soul. Horatio Spafford in Chicago in the 1800s. Remember that cow that kicked over a lantern? Okay, that lit the whole city on fire? Spafford lost a whole lot of real estate in that fire. And that happened after he had already planned a vacation to Europe with his wife and his four little girls. And so he had business to take care of and sent them on their way and he would meet them later. And so they took off on a ship. And it was struck in the middle of the Atlantic by another ship. And it sank in 12 minutes. And all four of his daughters drowned. And his wife cabled him from Wells the words, Saved alone. And Spafford jumped on the ship to go be with his wife. And as they got to the place where that ship with his daughters went down, the captain knew Spafford was on the ship and he stopped the ship and paused and let him know where it was. And he looked over and contemplated and he saw the waves, otherwise known as billows. His sorrow lapped over him. As he would pin as sorrows like sea billows rolled. And so he pinned the whole hymn. And it has comforted many people in diverse, sorrowful, painful situations ever since. But why? Because it was about the Gospel. It wasn't only about His subjective feelings, and pain. It was that. It has to be that. But taken to the Gospel, outside of Himself, the truth. Where else is He going to go with such pain? And so He focuses on Christ. This life Fleeting. There's a judgment. There's a Savior. And He was saved by Him. And thus, without denying any of the pain and the loss and the tragedy and the evil and everything's broken, He penned gospel truth and poetry and put to melody. And so for Spafford, he knew whether everything feels like ha-ha-hunky-dory, I got peace, 
like a river and attendeth my way, or whether billowing sorrows, waves of sorrow overwhelmed him in the midst of both. Both emotional extremes, Christians sing. And we're helped to sing by those who write such hymns. He knew his soul was safe because of Christ and Christ alone. When peace like a river attendeth my way, or when sea billows roll like sorrow, Whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. See, if there is no young David going through the torment that God sovereignly had Saul put him through, if there is no Martin with his life held in the balance on an answer in a courtroom, or if no little girls are ever drowned in the sea, then the songbook of the Bible and of church history would be really thin. And the singing of the church would be so much more shallow. In the midst of our own constant little ups and downs, the songs would not hit the depths of our hearts as they might. In the midst of real life, in tears, in pain. Some of you know the horrific battle of William Cowper, late 1700s. His entire life, he dealt with chemical imbalance. He would have horrific suicidal depression of darkness for long periods of time. He's finally born again in 1763. He loved Jesus. He had ups. But oh, he for the rest of his life still had downs with chemical imbalance and horrible depression. But he was gifted. As Mozart was gifted with music. Cowper was gifted with lyric, poetry. And what we get is many, many poems that, that have come from his pen and they're not cheap and they're not silly when you put them to melody. But they're weighty and they're deep. They don't gloss over tragedy. They embrace it in the gospel. And so he pens, God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. Remember who's writing this. 
the clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and they shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Because behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. Yes, yes, the bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. He doesn't suffer with chemical imbalance anymore. And He will get a new body that is a glorified humanity one day. And He will never experience the gloom of dark clouds that He cannot crawl out of. He will never again try to hang Himself with a rope that by God's mercy broke. So when will we really, really sing of God's might and His mercy upon us? And I mean sing from the bottom of our hearts by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, the answer is we'll sing more deeply and more truly in the midst of trial and suffering, and longing. And it is there He will constantly meet us with strength. He will be, as for David, a refuge. And I mean really sing and taste of the Gospel of His grace. And then we'll know the power that so many before us have known and left to us with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so what does this mean? Here's what it means. Never fail to appreciate the privilege every Sunday of coming in here and singing together as Christ's church. Or whether it's in a little room with three other believers singing a cappella. Or with one guitar. Or with a whole orchestra. Never take it for granted. Fear an indifferent heart towards such mercy that corporate singing is to you. To sing the Psalms of the Bible 
Many other songs coming from the lyrics that are pulled out of the Bible and put to melody and the songbook of church history that is written by so many sojourners who have gone before us. These are meant to be glorious piping conduits of the Holy Spirit working deeply in our lives and in our hearts to overflowing and molding us in the midst of whatever you're going through. Some of us here have cried. over the last year in pain or in loss in a vacuum away were children the death of a loved one the struggles in relationships we've cried over our own sin that is revealed. And you know, impossible without You, O oh Father, the heartache that that brings. You struggle with financial insecurities, marriage, singleness, that's the age we live in. And to think that while you and I, we're alone with God, we, we, we can open up the Psalms, we can open up Romans, we can read, and we can sing. And then, every week, in a living room, or on the first day of the week of the gathering of God's people, we can also come together and not just sing, I adore you, but we adore you, O Christ Jesus. And there is nothing else on earth like God's people, plural, hearts and voices united in song. And so as we are going to be closing the service here this morning, in the next couple minutes, we're going to jointly unite our hearts and our voices as we sing like David sang. As we obey our text from the pen of the Apostle Paul, be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns, in spiritual songs, singing, singing, and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And we're going to do it. Singing Horatio Spafford's hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. But before we sing it again, I just want you to hear the words and the poetry that we're going to be united together around. When peace like 
a river attendeth my way? Or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed His own blood for my soul. My sin! Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought! My sin! Not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trumpet shall resound. And the Lord Jesus shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. Let's stand and sing it.